This episode is brought to you by ServiceNow. Everyone's talking about AI. Everyone. But where do you start? How can it actually help your business? The ServiceNow platform brings intelligence into every corner of your company. So every person, every system, every process, everything works better. Put AI to work. Tap the banner or go to servicenow.com slash genai to see how. The Trump administration has been battling with California over a lot of different policies. But the biggest battle of them all is over vehicle emissions, the amount of pollution cars can release into the atmosphere. There is really no Trump versus California conflict that has bigger ramifications. First, because it's about greenhouse gases, which will have a lasting impact on the environment. And second, because it's leaving a massive American industry hanging in the balance. Today on the show, how car makers are trying to navigate the escalating confrontation between the Trump administration and California over who gets to set environmental policy. Welcome to The Journal, our show about money, business, and power. I'm Ryan Knudsen. It's Thursday, October 31st. In his first week in office, President Trump invited executives of leading carmakers to the White House. I want to just thank you all for being here. Again. And in that meeting, he promised to make some changes that would help their businesses. We're reducing taxes very substantially, and we're reducing unnecessary regulations. And we want regulations, but we want real regulations that mean something. Among the regulations that he wanted to get rid of were environmental regulations that capped how much carbon cars could emit. Broadly, he said that environmental regulations were a problem for U.S. businesses. Tim Pucco covers energy policy. One of the biggest regulatory regimes that the Trump administration was going to have to deal with is connected to emissions, that the Obama administration made vehicle emissions a center of its climate policy. Team Trump and Team Obama have diametrically opposed views on what climate change is and how much government should be doing about it. So Trump says it's a hoax, and Obama listens to scientists and considers it a major threat. And Obama made reducing those emissions from the auto sector one of his top climate policies. The thing with Trump is that he sees automakers as a huge economic engine for the whole country. So when Trump gets in and wants to roll back environmental regulations and climate policy, there was basically no way to avoid the vehicle emissions policy from being top of the list. So can you just, at a high level, explain what was it that the Obama-era emission standards did? Yeah, absolutely. They're all about efficiency, getting cars to cover more miles per gallon and getting consumers to buy more electric vehicles. And... There's really no way to lower those emissions without just getting cars and trucks to pump out less of it. So in the end, that's what the Obama administration decided to do. It was based around a calculation of miles per gallon, and the thrust of the Obama administration rule was to get cars and trucks of all kinds to be more efficient. It was going to go up gradually at first, and then efficiency standards would shoot up 
really strongly. The current standard is about 37 miles per gallon. By 2025, all cars would be at nearly 55 miles per gallon. When Obama passed those rules, the carmakers were originally pretty open to it. Ford, GM, and Honda, and all the major car makers that sell in the U.S. reached an agreement with the administration to make those changes. When these rules were set in 2012, in, in uh, Obama's first term, oil prices were pretty high. You know, we'd just gotten out of the financial crisis, and consumers had been moving pretty strongly into more fuel-efficient vehicles. You didn't see any more Hummers around Mm -hmm. at the beginning of this decade, right? Right, yeah. The thing was that by the time Trump wins election, the world had changed. Oil prices had plummeted. Gasoline prices were down. Energy costs for consumers were down across the board. And so consumer demand had, had shifted sharply into light trucks and crossovers, the smaller, more efficient SUVs, but still not nearly as, as efficient as sedans or EVs. Mm-hmm. And so automakers wanted enough flexibility in the rules to be able to sell trucks and SUVs to U.S. consumers that, that wanted them again. Right. And the Obama-era emissions rules would get in the way of selling those kinds of cars. Yeah. It's that simple. And so how did car makers feel in the early part of Trump's presidency when he's just talking about rolling some of this stuff back? What was the feeling back then? I think they were certainly hopeful that they had an administration that was going to be more sympathetic to them than the Obama administration was. And within weeks of Trump winning, they're meeting with the Trump administration and making their case that they want relief. So what does Trump actually wind up doing Essentially, he flatlined them. Flatlined the standards, that is. In fact, all of the sharp increases that were supposed to start soon, the Trump administration wanted to just get rid of them. So no more increases. And that is not what the automakers were expecting. The joke here was it was always like the dog that caught the car. It seemed almost confusing to them. The auto industry was a bit flummoxed about how to handle it. So in other words, car makers were saying to the Trump administration, hey, can you kind of dial it back here and there on these rules, give us a little bit more breathing room here and there as we try to comply with tighter emission standards. And then the Trump administration comes in and basically takes it to a much more extreme level than the car makers were asking for. Yes, they wanted some fairly nuanced givebacks, a little bit of assistance, And the Trump administration was like, well, what if you just don't have to do any of it? (laughs) Just, just you're free to go. Yeah. So that might have sounded like a good thing for car makers, but it actually created a new set of problems. Because Washington isn't the only one with an opinion on how to deal with cars and air pollution. Investors had their own concerns. Many wanted car companies to be thinking long-term about fuel efficiency, And so did an increasing number of consumers. The other critical stakeholder that had an opinion on the White House's change to emission standards was a state on the West Coast with a lot of car buyers. California is in many ways the antithesis of the Trump administration. It has a long history of environmentalism. Because California was a pioneer in these environmental rules, There were provisions put in the original Clean Air Act going back to 1970 that allowed California under a certain set of circumstances to write environmental regulations that were stronger than what the federal government had come up with. They needed a waiver from the federal government to do this, 
But for decades, they would go to the federal government, say, hey, we want our waiver under this rule. And dozens of them had been approved from the 1970s to the last decade. So when the Trump administration comes in and says, we're going to roll back these emission standards, California says, wait a second, we've got a waiver for these standards. We're going to try to exercise that power now. Yes. And the Trump administration knew that. It wasn't like this caught them by surprise. But how to deal with it was always the big question. California wanted to keep the Obama-era standards in place. And it saw the Trump administration's decision as too much of a give back to automakers. California wants to aggressively push automakers to make cleaner and more efficient cars. Freezing the standards would take the pressure off the industry. And this whole emissions fight is really just one example of a broader list of grievances that the state of California has with the president of the United States. The two sides have become rivals on almost everything. The California AG has sued the Trump administration on immigration, on labor, on, I want to say something like a dozen different policy actions that the administration has taken. This isn't just a fight about vehicle emissions. And when you think about it, it has turned the tables. I think that most people think of states' rights as a Republican thing. Republicans have been traditionally the group that supports a state's ability to make its own rules. They have fought against too much federal power. And in this case, you have the exact opposite. While the battle between California and Trump is about more than just emissions, for the car companies, it is about emissions. They need to figure out how to build their cars. And if you're a business looking at all this fighting, it adds up to one of the worst things you could face, uncertainty. I mean, as a business, how can you even make decisions in this sort of environment? I think that the complaint that you hear from a lot of these companies is that you can't make a decision. It's been difficult for all these companies to navigate. All these automakers have to worry about the global market, too. And a lot of other places around the world, China, Europe, they're thinking about climate change in completely the opposite way that the Trump administration is thinking about it. And they're pushing to make cars more efficient, just going the opposite way from what the Trump administration is proposing. After Trump decided to roll back emission standards and California decided to stand its ground, car makers struggled to figure out what to do. The worst case scenario was the chance they could go years without even knowing the rules that govern their business, while the federal government in California fought it out in court. And on top of that, there was the possibility that car makers would wind up with two sets of rules for the country. The concern is if you have two standards in the United States that you're going to have to end up making cars for the lesser standard for most of the United States, but then a second set of cars for California. And by meeting two standards for automakers, that means increased R&D costs, increased assembly line costs, you're paying lawyers more. The overhead just goes up in ways that car makers would like to avoid if at all possible. And if you're a car owner and you own a car in one of these states where the, where the standards are lower, and then you move to, say, California, you probably wouldn't even be able to continue to own that car. How exactly this would be policed is not clear, but that's certainly a possibility. The bottom line is it would be a headache for everybody. Stuck in this weird position, carmakers tried to help make peace between Trump and California. 
At first, they largely stuck to one message. The Trump administration in California should meet in the middle. But as the months went by, the chance of a compromise looked bleak. Bitterness started to become public, and the Trump administration announced it was cutting off talks with California entirely. As negotiations were falling apart, one of the biggest twists in this whole drama came earlier this year when four automakers, Honda, BMW, Volkswagen, and maybe most importantly, Ford, the classic American company, Mm -hmm. all announced that they were going to voluntarily subject themselves, make their own cars in accordance with the California standard nationwide. It was their attempt to try to do something. You could almost say it was out of desperation. This was an attempt to find a way back to having one national standard. Mm -hmm. There was a thought from a lot of people that that might be the only way to go, that, that getting the automakers as a whole to just say, fine, if the federal government is going to be obstinate, we'll go with California and work with them. But in the end, those four jumped to California and no one else joined them. And then how did the Trump administration respond to those moves by those four car companies? A lot of wailing and gnashing of teeth, I think would be the phrase. Mm -hmm. Once the deal between California and the four automakers happened, there has been one move after another from the federal government. Those moves and how it split the auto industry is after the break. This episode is brought to you by Indeed. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com journal. Terms and conditions apply. This episode is brought to you by Vonage. With Vonage Voice API, you get comprehensive call analytics, virtual assistance, automated speech recognition, and text-to-speech benefits across multiple languages. Developers can add smart voice functionalities into your app, giving your customers an easier way to reach you. And you can start collecting real-time data to drive more meaningful engagement to move your business forward. Learn more at Vonage.com. Welcome back. When those four automakers, Honda, BMW, Volkswagen, and Ford, sided with California, the U.S. government did not react well. The most shocking thing for a lot of people is that the Department of Justice got involved. And in particular, the antitrust division and its leadership saw four companies voluntarily agreeing to do something together and thought, well, that sounds an awful lot like uh, an antitrust concern. You know, four companies getting together and doing something is, is always potentially a problem under an- antitrust laws. The automakers have said they're cooperating with the Justice Department, and California said it worked individually with the automakers and was mindful not to violate antitrust laws. The Trump administration argued that the agreement between carmakers and California would restrict competition by potentially limiting the types of cars and trucks the automakers could offer to consumers. The administration also decided to go after the very source of California's power, 
that part of the 1970 Clean Air Act, which is what gave the state the ability to set its own environmental policies apart from the federal government. The most obvious way for them to get what they want was to try to get rid of California's authority altogether. That special power that California has, that waiver that is dependent on federal permission, they just thought we should revoke it Mm -hmm. and have, in fact, since then, taken the steps to do just that. How does California respond to that threat? California leaders are somewhere between skeptical and outright furious at the administration. And more recently, you've heard from the governor in particular that Trump has a vendetta against the state and has openly accused the Trump administration of acting based on that vendetta, of doing all of these maneuvers just for political reasons. California sued the Trump administration over this, and that lawsuit could go all the way up to the Supreme Court. And as the case progresses, more carmakers are picking sides. The most recent turn in this is that the automakers who are not part of this foursome that's aligned with California have started to move in the other direction. Just this week, Global Automakers, which is one of the two major trade groups for the auto industry here in D.C., filed a brief in support of the Trump administration. So that includes GM, Toyota, Fiat Chrysler. These companies want the Trump administration to be able to have full control to set one national standard. What do you think their calculations are here when they look at the options in front of them? I think what's fair to say is that it's an image issue for all of them. None of these companies want to get slammed by the president. They're all scared of the tweet and the way he can use the bully pulpit against them. But as much as that is a concern, they also have their own image concerns when it comes to climate. Several of the companies that have sided with California are fresh off emission scandals, then they have an image to rehabilitate. One other issue that you have to remember is that there is a huge competitive element here. That competitive element has a lot to do with the kinds of cars that each company makes. If you mostly make smaller and lighter cars, strict emission regulations aren't that hard for you to meet, and it might actually give you a competitive advantage. But if you make SUVs, emission standards are really problematic. And depending on what happens with the emission standard, this division might last well into the future. So if we end up in a world where there are two different standards, the California standard and then the federal standards that apply to everyone else, that's a huge pain for automakers. It just spirals in a way that all of these automakers want to avoid. Ultimately, though, there is a huge environmental concern if the federal government just backs off entirely from forcing these car makers to do more. You look back at the history of the auto industry and efficiency gains have been pretty limited in the past few decades. And the only time that they have ever made giant strides is basically in in order to meet federal mandates. So when we think about trying to make cars and trucks more efficient to reduce greenhouse gas emissions, I think that most people who understand the industry and climate scientists would tell you that you can't do it without government regulation. 
Just this afternoon, sources told the Wall Street Journal that the Trump administration is backing away from freezing the standards. Their latest plan would require more gradual increases of 1.5% each year, as opposed to the 5% a year increase under Obama's plan. The administration's plan is closer to the Obama-era rules, but still gives automakers some relief from the more aggressive standards. California, though, is expected to challenge these standards in court. That's all for today, Thursday, October 31st. The Journal is a co-production of Gimlet and The Wall Street Journal. Thanks for listening. See you tomorrow.